0: Well, if you have your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, or you can follow along on the Version app, uh, everything is there. And as you're turning to Galatians chapter 4, I have a feeling that if I were to ask you, what was your favorite subject in school? You know, you probably could tell me the, the class, the subject that stands out to you most. And, you know, it would probably be a wide variety anywhere from, you know, uh, I don't, I didn't do well in school. I don't remember any of the classes. Let's not talk about it, to, um, and for a few of you in here, maybe math. And if you said your favorite subject was math, I'd ask, why was your favorite <laughs> subject math? Um, If I had a least favorite subject, it was math, so if you like math, kudos to you, Uh, that's impressive. My favorite subject was history. I just absolutely loved history class. I remember my high school history teacher, uh, we just called him Gov. Uh, His name was Bob Harris, but we just called him Gov, And, and I remember history that was my favorite subject all through school i've always loved history and maybe that's why i love the old uh, saying it's been around forever if you don't know the past you're doomed to repeat it if you don't know the past you're doomed to repeat it and one of the thing uh, things i love about scripture is that scripture isn't it's not just a, a story it's a a lesson It's a lesson to us. There are stories in Scripture that serve as a reminder to us of how we should live our life. And and not just in here's what you should do, but also in the example of people who have come before us. Some good, some not so good. And, you know, we've been going through the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with a very important situation A situation that could uh, tear the church apart. He is dealing with this this situation of these uh, Gentile believers who are starting to turn towards the law. Their minds are being twisted, they're being deceived uh, by these Jewish Christians, these Jewish believers who are telling them you know, hey, you have to follow the law. You have to follow circumcision. You have to do these things according to the law. And Cody did a great job last week going through Galatians chapter three. And one of the things that he brought up that I thought was right on the money was the fact that these Gentile believers, they were on fire. They were on fire for God. They were wanting to grow closer and in their desire to grow closer, they started to be led astray by these Jewish believers telling him these are the things that you have to do. And so he's been battling with this. And in chapter 3, we we talked a lot about the law. And we see this morning this continuation into Galatians chapter 4. And it's quite interesting because we see this amazing thing take place, but then we also see this thing start to take place that... Paul is concerned about Paul is uh, frustrated about, and some of the words he uses shows his frustration. But the thing is, this is an important lesson to us this morning in Galatians four because if we don 't understand our past we 're doomed to repeat it, and so We're going to be starting in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. But before we go into verse 1, we have to start with the end of chapter 3. Because at the end of chapter 3, Paul reminds uh, these uh, Gentile believers that they are children of God. Because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus came, he lived, he died on the cross, and he rose again. Because of what he has done, we now become children of God. Through our belief in Him, through uh, this regeneration that comes from believing in Him, uh, being baptized into Him, we now become children of God. And he ends chapter 3 by saying, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so that's where we pick up this morning in Galatians 4. And we're going to start in the first two verses of Galatians 4. And he says this, What am I saying, or what I am saying, is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So Paul is beginning chapter 4 here with this thought that with an heir, as long as they are underage, then they're really no different than a slave, because honestly. They are still under the guardianship of somebody, not just their parents, but even we see here uh, guardians and trustees. And so they may be heir to this, you know, maybe property, maybe they're heir to this inheritance, but they can't get any of that inheritance, they can't make any decision, they get no say. Because they are not of age. They are not of age to uh, receive this inheritance. And so, really, they are still a slave. They can't make any decisions. They don't have any say in, this, or in matters of inheritance. You know, it, they had to reach a certain age, and that certain age would depend on the culture. A Jewish culture, uh, Grecian culture, Roman societies, they all had different viewpoints of when somebody would come to age. For the Jew, that was age 13. Uh, it just varied depending on society. Uh, Donald Campbell uh, points out that under Roman law, the age of maturity for a child was set by his father. And involved the ceremonial donning of the toga and his formal acknowledgement as son and heir and so different societies had different ideas of when they would come to age so why is Paul talking about this well in verse 3 he explains why it says uh, so also when we were underage we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world This whole illustration is being used to point out the fact that just as somebody, an heir, cannot receive that inheritance until they come of age, just like they would technically be a slave under the guardianship of not just their parents, but other guardians and trustees, this was the exact same thing that was happening to these Gentile believers. They were under the spiritual forces of the world. For the Jews, that spiritual force they were under was the law. But for these Gentile believers, those spiritual forces would have been heathen religions that they used to believe in. And Paul uh, tells them, hey, you know, you were under these forces. It, it's kind of similar to what he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, since you died with Christ to the elemental elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to It's rulers, and so they used to be slaves under these heathen religions, and now uh, they are free from that, and that's what this is pointing out. Then he goes into verse 4 and 5. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. This phrase here it's important, but when the set time had fully come. What does that mean? Why is Paul saying this? Well, I know we talked a little bit about it during Christmas, but really, Jesus came at just the right time. You know, we, we hear people say that. Why couldn't Jesus come today? You know, why did he come into this world in the time period in which he came? Well, God had set up the time he came into this world just perfectly He sent him during a time when Rome was becoming a superpower. Why was this important? Well, for starters, Roman laws protected citizens and Roman soldiers made sure that peace was protected. So under Roman citizenship, these people had the ability to speak uh, the things they wanted to speak and were able uh, to have the rights that they wanted to have, but it was protected by Roman soldiers. They made sure that people had the ability to Uh, believe what they wanted to believe so long as they don't go against the government. There was peace at this time. Also, Rome had brought in a road system that was amazing, and it connected all of the cities to each other. And when all of the cities are connected, that makes travel a whole lot easier, and it opens it up for people to be able to travel why is this important? Well, if you can travel, guess what happens? You can take the gospel with you from place to place to place to place. Not only were these things big, but also because of some of the Rome, or Roman Empire's uh, victories against other nations, Latin and Greek languages were now known across the empire, making communication easier. You were able to communicate with people better because there was these languages that were more common. And so, at just the right time, God sent His Son. And then He says, He sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. This shows His divine side and His human side. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace, in truth the word became flesh he has both divine nature and human nature and he has come for a reason he has come to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship one of the things that cody said last week that i really liked was he reminded everybody that the law It was not meant to save people, but to remind people of their need for a Savior. The reason for the law was to point out we need saving. We need a Savior, and this is the reason Jesus has come. The reason He died, the reason He rose again, was to save us from underneath the law that could not save us. We needed a Savior. Jesus was that Savior, and because of that, we receive adoption into sonship. Because of what He has done For us, we become children of God. Then, verse 6 and 7, he says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Because we are sons of God, we receive the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, He leads us, guides us, directs us to the Father. And this is important. Not only do we receive the Holy Spirit, but we are also no longer slaves. We are God's child. And since we are God's child, we also become heirs. Man, that's an amazing thing. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because of what God has done for us, his love for us, we now become children of God. And not only do we become children of God, we become sons and daughters of God. And because we become sons and daughters of God, we receive or we become heirs with him. And this first uh, seven verses here really points out something important. You see, these Gentile believers, they moved from slaves to heirs from slaves to heirs. This is important because not only did they come out of these heathen religions and and into faith, into saving faith in in Jesus Christ, this is the same thing for us. We are heirs with Christ. This morning, we are heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 16 and 17 tells us, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glories. You see, to be an heir, a co-heir with Christ means that we are going to share in his sufferings. There's going to be times that as a believer, we suffer. You know, following Christ doesn't mean automatically that all of our problems in life goes away. It just means that we have somebody that we can turn to and we can lean on and we can talk to about those things that we struggle with. But we become co-heirs in His suffering. But not only that, are we co-heirs in His suffering, but we are also co-heirs in His glory. And if we share with Him in His suffering, then we get an inheritance And what is our inheritance? Well, firstly, our inheritance is an internal inheritance, an internal inheritance that's waiting for us. Hebrews 9.15, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. We are heirs and we receive an eternal inheritance. And that's why it's so important. Not you know, Ron was talking about how you know, we have all this stuff, and we have stuff to put our stuff in. We buy stuff. You see, we're, we're big on stuff, but see, our in- eternal inheritance is so much greater than any of the stuff that we have here. It's an eternal inheritance that we receive when we put our faith in Him, when we believe in Him. We become children of God. We become heirs of God. With Christ, But not only is it an internal inheritance, it's also an inheritance that will last. It's an inheritance will last. Let's talk about stuff again. What happens to your stuff over time? It breaks. It fades. It's no longer good. After a while, things break down. Now that's why we buy new phones every two years, because phones are made to break. They're made to become outdated. They become, or they're made to be replaced. But see, our inheritance is one that will last. 1 Peter 1.4, And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And just like these Gentile believers, we were slaves. We were once slaves to this world. We were slaves to the things around us, to the opinions around us. We were slaves to the, the forces of this world. But we are no longer slaves if we believe. No, we are no longer slaves. We are heirs. And imagine how different our lives would be if every single day we would take time to reflect on that fact that we are heirs with Christ. We are the sons and daughters of the king of kings. What if every single day when you woke up in the morning and you closed, before you closed your eyes at night, you thought about the fact that you were a child of God? How would that change your life? How would you do things differently if you realized your place before God? child of God, an heir, a co-heir with Christ. And Paul tells him, hey, guess what? You were once in slavery, but now you are an heir. But then he continues in in verse 8, and things kind of quickly turn in verses 8 and 9. It says, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And so we see here that they were once uh, slaves to uh, natures that are not God. We see kind of what they were enslaved to in Acts chapter 14, verses 11 through 13. It says, when the crowd saw that Paul... Or saw the uh, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language, "The gods have come down to us in human form." Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted others or other to offer sacrifice to them. And so we see Hermes, Zeus, these different types of false gods that they were worshipping. And they uh, were formerly slaves to those. It says, but now that you know God, or rather you are known by God. The word translated here for know is a word which means to know intimately and on a personal level. So not only did they know God, but God knew them on this personal and intimate level. Level And yet here's the problem. Now they are turning their backs on God. They're turning to weak and miserable forces, things that cannot save them like Jesus Christ has. They're turning their backs and they are walking away into weak and miserable forces. And I love how Warren Wiersbe explains this. He says they were giving up the power of the gospel for the weakness of law and the wealth of the gospel for the poverty of law. And they were giving up something so good for something so bad, something that could not save them. All the law could do was point out a man's shortcomings and their weaknesses, and yet that's what they were turning to. And then he says in verse 10 and 11, You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. They're starting here to go to the Mosaic calendar. And, you know, the problem isn't that they just that they were going to the Mosaic calendar. No, the problem was it wasn't about them growing spiritually. It was more so a work trying to earn favor, to earn merit. And so what are they doing? They're following all these Jewish traditions, these customs, this Mosaic calendar, trying to follow all of these dates that were important to the Jewish believers. And the thing is, they didn't need to, but they were committing to these things. Colossians two sixteen through 17 Paul says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. They didn't need to be following these things, and yet here they are following after these mosaic events. And you know, it's funny, as I was reading about this passage and, you know, one of the comments people asked were, well, why do we follow Christmas and Easter? Do we have to follow Christmas and Easter? Aren't those, you know, like holidays that we don't have to follow? We shouldn't have to. Here's the thing. We can celebrate these things because we celebrate remembering what has been done for us. In this case, we see here in scripture, it was simply a work. It was simply a work trying to earn merit, trying to earn Favor. And then Paul, he says something here so powerful and so heartbreaking all at the same time. He he makes the comment, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Man, can you imagine maybe what it would be right, like to read those words from Paul when they get this, this letter? Man, I feel like my time, my blood, sweat and tears that I poured into you might have been wasted on you. Man, I can't imagine just the frustration that Paul is feeling that he would be able to say these words. He's seeing them turn away from something that was so good to something that was so bad. And his heart is breaking for them. I feel like I wasted my efforts on you. But then in verse 12 and following, we're going to see him try to encourage them, try to urge them, plead with them. In verse 12, he says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. Become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. And so Paul challenges the Gentiles here, become like me, like I have become like you. What does that mean? What what is Paul saying here? Well, it's this idea that they should be free from the law like he is free from the law because he gave his life to Christ. And therefore, he becomes like these Gentile believers because they were free from the law. And this is the irony here. After their conversion, they were never in the law. They were in other things and they came out of those things. They never were part of the law. Paul left the law, became a believer, and now these people are trying to go to the law. And Paul's like, no, don't don't do this. Become like me like I once became like you. We were both once not in the law. Now you're trying to be in the law. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then he says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. We don't know what the illness was that Paul has. It's never told to us what it was. A lot of people believe that Paul was struggling with malaria. Others believe he had an eye issue, which is why he'll say the things he says here in just a few Whatever the case, whatever this disease was, this illness was, he wasn't able to travel. He couldn't make it. He was weak. He was tired. He was exhausted. He couldn't travel. And because he couldn't travel, he made sure he took the time to share the gospel with the people where he was. Hey, if I can't travel, if I'm sick, I might as well try to do something while I'm here. And so he proclaims the gospel. And whatever the disease was, it didn't cause the people to scorn him or to call him weak. They could have. They could have said, why do we want to listen to somebody who's dealing with this? No, they look at him rather as an angel or even Jesus himself. They listened to him. They they didn't consider what he had to be a weakness. No, they wanted to hear what he had to say. And this is where he continues in verse 15 and 16. He says, where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Things have changed. Things have changed in just such a short verse. You know, Things have changed. Before, they took him in. They, they listened to what he had to say. They didn't consider him weak or scorned because of what his illness was. But now, all of a sudden... Before, where they would have, he says, where they would have ripped out their eyes to give them to him. Now, they look at him as an enemy. They look at him as an enemy. They are turning on him. They're treating him horribly. And why are they doing this? The sad truth is they're only doing this because he is telling them the truth. And I got some bad news for all of us here this morning. The sad truth is there will be many who will turn from the gospel, and they will not want to hear what you have to say because what you have to say is truth, and some people just simply hate truth, and some people will not want to hear what you have to say because what you have to say is true, and guess what? The sad truth is you're going to make enemies if you believe because people don't want to hear the truth, and so we continue on in in verse 12, verse 17, verse 17 verse 17 through 20, it says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. We know the root cause here again are these Jewish believers trying to turn people away from God's grace back to the law. And they have strong zeal. They have strong zeal. They have a strong desire. They have a strong will, a strong purpose in mind to lead these people astray. And they are turning them away from Paul, who was their spiritual father, and the one who taught them the gospel. They are turning these people away with such strong zeal. Paul wishes he could be there to speak with him, to talk with him. And he mentions that he is in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's going through the pain of seeing what is happening to these people, and he wants them to follow after Christ, but more so than follow after Christ, he wants them to be formed into mature believers, knowing the Scriptures, knowing the Gospel. He wants them to have this mature relationship with God, this fully formed relationship with Christ. And he says, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. He's confused. Why in the world are you leaving what is so good? Why are you trying to turn to something that is so bad when you are in a place that is so good? You see, these believers were moving away from grace into slavery. They had moved from slavery to being heirs and now they are starting to turn from grace into slavery again. They were being led astray. And here's the thing I want to talk about with us this morning. In chapter one, we talked about being led astray by false gospels, which is true. But this morning, I want to say, without even realizing it, we ourselves are moving from grace into slavery. We are. The church in this world today is so quickly moving out of grace into slavery. And it's not just false gospels that are moving us out of this direction. No. It's the world in itself, too, is moving us out of grace into slavery. The truth is, we have so many voices in our heads, in our ears, telling us what we should do, which way we should go, how we should act, how we should live. And it is all around us, and it is in our ears constantly. And because of this, even without realizing it, we get so sucked into the things of this world, and we start to creep away from God. Our advice, our opinions, they start to be based more on what we see around us and what we hear around us rather than what we read in scripture. And because of this, the sad truth is this, we are losing our joy, we are losing our fire, and we are losing our zeal. We are breaking apart as a church in this world, because we are so tied up in things that we hear around us and all the things that are guiding us and directing us that we have lost track of what scripture tells us to do, how we should live, how we should act, how we should follow him. Colossians 2.8 reminds us, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And we are being pulled and torn in all sorts of different directions by the world. And without realizing it, we are quickly moving away from the grace that has been given to us into slavery. You know, in, starting in June, through June and July, we're going to be spending the whole summer looking at the book of Psalms, looking at different Psalms. And the idea is going to be to be honest with God. And David was honest with God, right? Like he was, he, you know, poured his, how, or his heart out before God. And so because of that, I've been spending a lot of my personal time in scripture, just living in the Psalms, soaking up the Psalms, journaling about the Psalms, just trying to to really be in step with what, you know, God is saying in the Psalms. And one of the things that I've been doing uh, with that, not just reading, but I've been journaling. I have a little journal uh, psalms. Or I've been kind of journaling through as I've been reading through the psalms. And I started this uh, this past week and it just fit perfectly because in Psalm 1, I think we get the the, the answer we need to fix this problem of us moving away from grace into slavery In Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2, it says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. And that's this idea of being in Scripture Being in Scripture all the time, meditating on God's Word, thinking about God's Word, understanding and knowing God's Word. But too often, we are the ones who are in step with the wicked. We are standing in the way that sinners take and then the company of mockers because of all, again, these voices that are pulling us away. And if you want to stay in grace and not move into slavery, we have to know the Word of God. We have to live by the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God, seek His counsel lest we fall into slavery. Because, man, it is hurting the church. The more we start to move away from God's grace into slavery, it is hurting the church. We don't have zeal, we don't have passion, we don't have fire. When was the last time the things around you broke your heart? And we we need that zeal, we need that fire. And it starts by being in His Word, meditating on His Word, and being in His counsel. And so, to make a point here, Paul's been pleading with them. He told them, hey, this is where you were, this is where you're going. Now he's going to make a point to them. And he's going to use a story to do it. And in verse 21 through 23... He's going to start this illustration, and it's it's going to be a historical example that he uses as an allegory. And this is what he says in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son... or Yeah... Uh, his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman who was born as a result of the promise. So here we have it, this historical example that he's starting. These Gentile believers have not yet transitioned into the law. There's still time for them to hear the message. There's still time for him to make a point. And so he begins this story talking about Abraham. And Abraham has two sons. One son is from a slave woman. The other is from a free woman. And Paul's point is for them to consider which one of these they are more like. And so in verse 24, he says, These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. The women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And so a lot to cover here. First, we see Paul mentioned two covenants. The first covenant is represented by Hagar, and this is the Mosaic covenant, and it represents the law. And those who are under this covenant would be slave. They would be slave because they would be slave to the law without hope of salvation. Not mentioned here, but Sarah would represent the Abrahamic covenant, which would be more of a gracious system, and it would be a system that is free. The next, Paul points to two Jerusalems. Hagar's Jerusalem points to a present-day Jerusalem. And where was present-day Jerusalem? Well, present-day Jerusalem was under the control of Rome. And it was really a slave in two ways. It was, control, or it was under the control of Rome, and it was under the control of the law. And so this present Jerusalem was a slave. But Sarah's Jerusalem is one that is heavenly. It's one to come. It's one that's described in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. And then we see Paul bring us to Isaiah 54, verse 1 talking about uh, be glad, barren women. And it's this idea of this changing of fortunes that is tied to Sarah and really tied to us, this changing of fortunes from you will be going from the law, from uh, the slavery into something better. Then 28 through 31, it says this, Now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. You see, Isaac was the child of divine promise. This is... That is us in this story here. We are of supernatural birth. John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And in verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirits. Then we see a story here Ishmael mocks Isaac when Abraham was celebrating the weaning of Isaac with a banquet this comes in Genesis 21 and this is the same with those judaizers who are trying to pull those gentile believers away from the truth and then Paul calls back to Sarah asking Abraham to have them excommunicated and he does this is Paul's way of telling these gentile believers excommunicate those who from among you who are preaching this false gospel but really This is a reminder of a stark difference between the law, which is religion based on work, and a calling to live by faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul finishes here by reminding these Gentile believers, they are not of the slave woman, but of the woman who is free. This is us. We are not the children of the slave woman, but we are children of the free woman. We are part of the the family of Christ. And so here's where I want to end this morning. I want to end with this question from this section. Are we slave or are we free? Slave or free? That's the question to ask. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, here's the truth. Freedom is found only in Christ. It's true. Freedom is found only in Christ. The law cannot save us. Things of this world cannot save us. The things you own cannot save you. None of that can save you, and can, you cannot find freedom in yourself, in and, and the things that you possess, and the things you own. No, freedom only comes through Christ. Colossians one13 through fourteen says, "For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness." of sins and so here's my question for you this morning which direction are you being pulled in which which direction are you being pulled in are are you following after jesus christ are you living by his word are you living by his commands are you living by the things that he tells us to do in scripture are you following the the whispers in your ear the the people yelling in your ear telling you which way you should go Because, man, if you're following after Jesus, great. You're on the right path. But if you're starting to listen to the things of this world, if you're starting to be led astray by the things of this world, there's still time. There's still time. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've been being pulled in all sorts of different directions. And maybe what you need to do this morning is you need to spend time with God, reconnecting with Him, praying to Him, asking Him, Father, please... Tell me the way I should go. Please help me to block out all these voices that are telling me to do everything different than what you do. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've let the world pull you away from Christ or maybe you never gave your life to Christ and you need to do that. Maybe you have a decision to make to follow him. And if you've never done that, I I pray that you would do so this morning. On your connect cards, you can uh, write that down. I'd love to talk with you. If you want to come up here and talk with me, I'd love to talk with you. Because freedom is only found in one place and it is found in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else is freedom found. Man, we have to learn our lesson from these Gentile believers because if we don't know the past, we are bound, we are doomed to repeat. We're already starting to move away from Him. If you have a decision to make this morning, if you need to spend time praying, I hope that you do so. If you need to give your life to Him, do so as we stand this morning and we sing.